Chapter Two of Aunt Hannah and Martha and John by Pansy and Mrs. C. M. Livingston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Marianne. Chapter Two, Mixed Things. She sat quite alone in the pretty study, one trim foot padding somewhat restlessly on the mossy greenness of the carpet. A winsome little woman, still in brown, as Aunt Hannah had described her, brown as to the soft silk of her hair, the depths of her eyes and at this moment, in a soft brown dress, without ribbons, with a bit of ruffle about the throat, the only thing that relieved the brownness. There was scarcely any pink in the cheeks that evening. Truth to tell, the young wife was very tired. In some of her conclusions Aunt Hannah was correct. The small lady in brown knew not much more about ordering her house than did the butterflies. Not that she had imagined the state of things herself when she took up her duties as housewife, in her secret heart she believed herself to be unusually wise, and felt that she was about to astonish not only John, but all the parish, with the amount of skill and tact that she should display in the ordering of her affairs. For nearly two weeks she and John had been alone, and here had certainly been some astonishment, but it was almost entirely on the part of the young wife. She had made a discovery— to keep house with a mother whose room door could be softly opened at any moment, and the important question propounded— how long ought that juice to boil, or how much sugar does it take for such a pudding, was one thing, and to keep house with a mother three hundred miles away, and the next-door neighbor a prim, wiry-looking woman with thin lips that shut over each other in a very suggestive manner, lips that had already been overheard to say that it seemed a pity for a minister to pick out a baby for a wife, and eyes that seemed always to be looking through her pantry window into the parsonage kitchen. This was quite another thing." These were some of the thoughts now passing through the restless brain of Mrs. John, and had to do with the restless tap of her foot on the mossy carpet. She was just tired enough to have the entire subject of housekeeping assume formidable proportions. How often she had, with a complacent air, listened to the sweet, low voice of her mother, as she told some friendly caller that her daughter Maddie superintended the cooking and managed all the affairs of the house as nicely as she could herself. Both mother and daughter believed this to be true, but now, with an experience born in the last two weeks, the daughter Mattie knew that it was because her mother's room was on the same floor with the storeroom and pantry that life in the old home moved on so smoothly, for the mother, who was unable to raise herself unaided from her pillow, could yet think and plan and suggest. It was Tuesday evening, and the two trying days of the week through which Mrs. Remington had just lived— had followed a Sabbath which had also been in some respects a trial. To begin with, the trouble which just now loomed itself up darkly before her, like a mountain over which she was expected to climb, and felt that she could not, was connected with bread. This small woman in brown had made and baked that day four loaves of bread, which were unmistakably and hopelessly sour. Is there a young married woman in the land, having the ordering of her own house, who does not feel an instant throb of sympathy? I really think her astonishment and disappointment added to the bitterness. She had made bread before, often, in her mother's home. Therefore she had gone about her task with no sinking of heart, but with such an air of superior confidence that she smiled over the thought of the peering eyes from the kitchen of her neighbor, and felt quite willing to let them peer." After the bread was fairly out of the oven, she had closed the blinds of her pantry very slight, and drawn down the shade, with a vague fear in her heart that the perfume from those acid loaves would steal into the kitchen across the yard, 
and tell the tale of their failure. What was the trouble? Oh, its name was Legion. In the first place, there had been in the old home a deft-handed maiden, carefully trained by her mother before the sorrowful accident that made her a prisoner in her bed, a maiden whose duty it was to see that the fire was in just that state of clearness and steadiness which has so much to do with the perfection from the oven. This same maiden had always her neat row of tins, shining with cleanliness, arranged on the baking-table, waiting for the young housekeeper's well-rounded loaves. In the parsonage kitchen there was just one pair of hands. They went into the very depths of stickiness before the bread-tins were thought of at all. Even when their owner did think of them, she was for the moment only bewildered. It seemed so surprising not to be able to say, "'Jenny, the tins, right away, please.' However, she had gotten her hands out as best she could and washed them, and given her tins an extra rubbing, and started afresh just in time to hear the doorbell ring. There was no Jenny to answer. She had neglected to tell John that her hands would be engaged, and he would be likely to hold to the arrangement she had herself proposed, that nothing but an absolute necessity, of which she was to judge, should call him from his study in the morning hours. There was no help for it. The bread must be left once more." It was the wiry woman next door, who wanted to borrow an egg, having discovered, in the midst of her baking, that she lacked just one. She saw a streak of flour on Mrs. John's cheek, and a dab of dough on her apron, and little lumps of hardened dough here and there, on the hurriedly washed hands, and asked if it was baking day here, too, then remarked that her bread was just out of the oven. The flurried minister's wife, alarmed to find that she felt almost as though it would be a comfort to throw the egg at the collar, made all the haste she could back to her bread, her heart sinking the while. How late it must be! She had forgotten that they sat so long over the letters this morning, and that she had taken time to read mother's once more when quite alone. There was much hurrying in the parsonage kitchen after that. Perhaps all would have gone well had not Dr. Crowther called to have a few minutes' talk with the minister on important business, and Mattie, ushering him into the little parlor, had been shocked to find that the floor was still strewn with papers, and the chairs with books, just as they had left it the night before. It was extraordinary that there was no Jenny to call upon. She had summoned John, and he had carried the doctor to his study, and not before he gave a hurried glance about the disorderly room. After that Mattie felt that she should have waited to brush and dust and arrange that room, even though they had no dinner at all. I need not follow her through her nervous and constantly interrupted morning, but if you had been there, you would not have been in the least surprised that she forgot the bread. When at last, several hours later in the day, she ran to it in dismay, you are prepared to hear that it had silently, and with malice aforethought, done its meanest and stickiest. Oh, the oven, the oven! The bread should have been not only in it, but out of it by that time, and the fire had been entirely forgotten. Mrs. John was used to steady, well-behaved coals, and Jenny to shake them at just the right minute. How could she be expected to remember this snapping, sputtering wood that flamed up so suddenly and died out so soon? She did her best with fire and soda and kneading board, but the bread was undeniably sour. She groaned in spirit over what her mother would have thought of it, or what Aunt Hannah would have said could she have seen her dear John bravely swallowing it for his supper. John, blessed man, made no comment whatever, until, in answer to his wife's earnest words, he was obliged to admit that it was a little tart. It wouldn't be good bread if it wasn't sour, 
said the poor, self-accusing spirit opposite him. It isn't good yeast. I know it is too old, or the bread would not have been so long rising in the first place. We used to buy our yeast at the bakery. I don't know how I am going to manage. This is the only kind I can get, and I know I shall not succeed with it. It is not a bit like ours. We'll have to make some, said John, with a deliciously superior air, and a smiling emphasis on the pronoun we. I remember stirring a mess for Aunt Hannah that she called hop yeast, and it used to hop around in a very lively manner. I don't think it can be very hard work. Aunt Hannah made it every week or two, I think. But his city-bred wife knew nothing about homemade yeast, and had a suspicion that neither did John, and the bread was sour, and the world looked dreary to her. All the drearier, I am sorry to say, because of the fact that the later hours of the afternoon had been spent at what they were pleased to call in that region a female prayer meeting. Why do they use that term, she had asked John, and laughed as she asked it. Wouldn't it sound queerly to say a male prayer meeting? At the tea table she had tried to tell John about the meeting, and had not felt like laughing. It wasn't pleasant, John. It was, well, dreadfully stiff. I don't know any other word that will describe it. Almost everyone was late, yet the meeting did not begin. They sat around solemnly and looked at one another. At last someone ventured to ask Mrs. Jones to lead. She said that she was not prepared, and that she didn't feel competent to lead a meeting anyway. Of course, that made all the others feel as though they ought not to be competent, and one and another refused. Then our next neighbor said she thought the minister's wife was the proper person to lead, but by that time I was so sort of frightened that it seemed to me I couldn't lead anything, and I said I did not feel competent either. The sentence closed with a shy glance at John, whose amused face had grown slightly grave. "'I am sorry you did that,' he said gently. "'I would have been glad if you had taken the vacant place as a matter of course, and led the meeting as simply as you would have done the young people's gathering in your old home.' Mrs. John shook her head. "'I'm sorry, too, now,' she said humbly, "'and I knew you would be. "'But it was a very different gathering from our young people's, I assure you. "'Mrs. Green was finally persuaded to lead, "'and she is the last person I should have chosen. "'She selected a long hymn and read the whole of it. "'Think of reading a hymn, John, "'in a little informal prayer meeting that is to last only an hour, "'when each person present had a book. "'She isn't what might be called a good reader, either.' Then they had a time gathering someone to start the tune. They didn't ask me. Mrs. Jones said she was hoarse, and Mrs. Brown didn't know any tune that would go with the words. At last I grew ashamed of myself and started a tune that I thought everybody in the world knew, but hardly anyone sang, and it frightened me. On the second verse it seems I changed the key. I don't know why, I am sure, but I pitched it so high that even those cats which troubled us last night couldn't have squealed it. Of course, I had to stop. It is very strange, I said. I have often sung that tune. But they all looked as solemn as though they were at a funeral. The ludicrous side of it came to me next, and I laughed. You needn't think they did, though. Tombstones couldn't have been more solemn. In short, John, the new minister's wife disgraced herself, and she knows it, and feels badly about it, though she doesn't understand it one bit. She meant to be as good as possible." The sentence had closed with a queer little sound that was much like a sob. John, wise-hearted man, had laughed pleasantly, and said that she mustn't mind these little things, that the people meant all right, he was sure, that in regard to many things she had been brought up differently from them, 
and that they must take time to get accustomed to people's peculiarities. Then he told her about the rose bushes he was going to set out under her window as soon as the spring opened, and had been as cheery as a man could be, who was eating sour bread and stewed prunes, which had been slightly scorched. After supper he had agreed to dry the dishes, and they were being very merry, when a knock interrupted, and the minister returned from answering it with a grave look, returned to his face. He must go at once. That woman about whom he had told her on Sabbath was worse, was going to die, and she had not planned for death. Deacon True says that she's in mortal terror, said John, as he kissed the little dishwasher, whose face was also now as grave as his own, and went away in haste. This is why she was alone in the pretty study, waiting. Going over, as she waited, the events of the day, of the two days, and their pettiness and solemnities, sour bread and prayer meetings, and dishwashing and deathbeds, life looked strangely mixed to this young beginner at womanhood. It seemed to her just then that the spring would never come, and no more roses would ever bloom. In her heart was a longing to write a long letter to mother, to tell her everything, and claim from her the fullness of sympathetic love which had been her portion all her life. To this end she turned presently to the study table, and drew toward her pen and paper, and began the familiar, Dear Mama. Then came a vision of the sweet, pale face, and love-lighted eyes, bending eagerly over the sheet to read the precious words. Only sunshine should appear on those pages for her mother's eyes to read. No perplexities of the kitchen, however merrily told, should intrude. Her mother would be sure to read between the lines, and grieve because she could not shield her darling from all roughness of the way. She shall hear about the roses that are to be, and the sunshine that is now, resolved Mrs. John bravely. As for Mrs. Prynne and her pantry window, and Mr. Green and all the others, Mama shall have none of them. But I do wish I knew how to make soft yeast. I have it. I'll write to Aunt Hannah. John will like that, and I'll tell her the whole story, because she's not my mother. The first sheet of paper was pushed aside, and another commenced. Dear Aunt Hannah. End of chapter 2